good to see everybody that's here this morning. Glad to have you with us. We're excited for this morning and for our baptism that we're going to be having. Uh, you'd think my Bible would just fall naturally open to that place <laughs> with the baptisms we've had the last couple of weeks. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's what we come this morning to do, to uh, follow in obedience with what Jesus has commanded us to do, that once we know Christ as our Lord and our Savior, uh, then we are to come and to be baptized, uh, giving that outward expression of what has happened in our hearts and our lives. And that's what Levi uh, Monroe comes to do this morning. So Levi, if you'll come on down. Levi, what is your profession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Upon your profession of faith as Jesus is Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism. <laughs> Stand up. Get up on? There you go. And risen to walk in newness of life. There you go, baby. Amen. Amen. We're excited for him. You continue to remember him uh, in your prayers. Uh, let me just remind you, especially those of you uh, who are online, let me just welcome you there. Uh, We're so glad to have you. We are there on Facebook uh, and on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma, on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, and then we have our phone live streaming. So I encourage you to use all of those. Heart, like, share those posts. Even if you're here, you can hop on real quickly uh, and do that. That just gives another outreach there uh, to those uh, who, are, who may be online uh, as a way to invite them to join us with our services. Uh, also, I encourage you to go to our church website. Uh, it's on our church website that you can download there our worship bulletin under the info tab at highlandbaptistchurch.com. So be sure to do that. If you need one of these in person, our ushers will be glad to give you one of those. Uh, they're also in the windows on the side. And then we also have children's worship bulletins, one's for age three and up, one's for age seven and up. They're over here in this windowsill if you need those. Uh, be sure to just pick up one. Uh, even if there's some left after the service, pick up one, share it with somebody. If you're there online, you can find these under that info tab and you can share that link uh, with anybody. You can print them off. Uh, there also and then also under that info tab is uh, your prayer list <laughs> get it right side up <laughs> your prayer list so I encourage you to get that downloaded and to be praying for uh, all of those upcoming things uh, our choirs and Mike is going to lead us here uh, in just a moment in our first hymn uh, and then Matt's going to come and lead us in our missionary moment uh, so thank you again for being here with us in person thank you for being with us online and we'll be back down in just a moment As the choir is coming up to uh, sing our first song here this morning, uh, we want you to do the same. We want you to, uh, to join us. Psalm 122.1 says, I rejoice with those who said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us rejoice and go into the house of the Lord. So we're going to sing, We Have Come Into His House This Morning. Y'all stand and join the choir with hymn number 361. We have come into his house. It's bad. house and gathered in his name to worship him. 
church. If you would, turn with me to our missionary, missionary moment in our bulletin as we look at and we pray for the CalCert family. For a hundred consecutive years, three generations of CalCerts have served as Southern Baptist missionaries to Brazil. In 1921, J.J. and Grace CalCert established a Baptist publishing house, Latin America's largest at the time and the first to print Bibles in Brazil. Grace taught music at the local Baptist school and help from Young Women's Christian Training Center, now the Integrated Center of Education and Missions. And so you could continue on reading there, but what it, an awesome testimony that is, is a family who has served multiple generations over 100 consecutive years in a country that the Lord has laid on their heart to share the gospel with them. So I want to encourage you to be encouraged by the Calcert family as they faithfully share the gospel that you and your home and your homes and your neighborhoods and your, your workplaces to also share the gospel. Let's pray for this family. Lord, we thank you for the testimony and the faithfulness of the Calcerts and Lord and how they have generation after generation have called been called to go overseas to share with those in Brazil. God, we thank you for the work you are doing there. God, we pray for the believers uh, who are there, who are sharing the gospel. We pray for the churches and the pastors. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can give through the cooperative program to uh, help with the cost. God, I thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Also, I want to remind you, uh, put on your calendars, if you are interested, you see right below that about the CPR class that's being offered by Ryan Purdom. Uh, you can talk to Ryan. He's here today. And so uh, he is tentatively, it is going to be for September 15th at 5 o'clock. It's going to be two hours. And maybe we'll have some banana pudding there. I don't know. You know, because CPR and banana pudding go together, I think. So hopefully uh, it'll be a, a good class. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Matt. Take your hymnals this morning for those of you that like to use the book, and we're, uh, we're going to sing hymn number 15, Come Thou Fount of Every Nation. The rest of you can just look at the words on the different places and join us as we praise the Lord and join the choir. Hymn number 15. Come thou fount of every blessing Fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. 
sounded very nice. <clears throat> For those of you that wear glasses, you know how sometimes you look away and you go to look back again and your head's got a bobble before you zero in on where you're supposed to be. I did that. So when I quit singing, you know why. 537 is our next hymn. It's, uh, we want you to, to stand and sing this with us as we enter further into our service. We're going to sing the first, second, third, and fifth verse. And uh, this is also the time for children's church together over on the piano side. So those of you headed that way, please do so. It will be 537. I will sing the wondrous story. Is Pat? Thank you. 
Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew there, Matthew chapter 18. 
As we're continuing this walk through the life of Jesus, there are many places that we want to stop along the way and learn uh, from what Jesus has to say, uh, not so much uh, what he had to do. And so um, uh, we're just going to look at verse 15 to begin with. And so let's stand and read God's word in honor of his word. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the blessing of your word this morning. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to us, uh, Lord, in a powerful way to show us, Lord... Uh, any errors in our, in our lives, any sins uh, that we may have committed. And Father, I pray that uh, you will help to teach us some things that we can learn about conflict resolution. Father, I pray that uh, if we are in the midst of some kind of conflict in our lives, whether it's with a family member or a coworker or especially uh, with someone within the church, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to resolve those things and to resolve them uh, as quickly as possible. And Father, we pray that in everything we do and everything we say, uh, we would bring glory and honor to your precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. I've entitled this message this morning, Conflict Resolution. Uh, hashtag, actually, Conflict Resolution, one word there. Uh, you can use it because uh, there are many people out there uh, who uh, put that in your, uh, share this post again, share that uh, little hashtag. A lot of people look up hashtags and uh, others will put them in their own uh, Instagram and face, uh, Facebook uh, kind of posts and stuff. Uh, but when they're looking for things in particular, uh, this may be a way that you could use this message uh, for someone to encourage them if they have uh, some conflict in their life. You know, so many of us carry around baggage with us. And many times it's relationship baggage. Uh, maybe it's a failed marriage uh, from our past, or maybe you've had sin in your life, and, or maybe you were the victim of sin in somebody else's life. Uh, maybe it's your relationship with your children. Or maybe it's your relationship with your parents or a relative or maybe your in-laws. Uh, maybe there's uh, something with someone that just isn't right and because you've never fully dealt with that issue, it, it hangs on you like baggage that you're carrying around everywhere you go. Uh, think about, there, there's cultural baggage. Maybe the government has been unfair to you. Maybe the culture that we live in uh, has not uh, been fair to you. Or, or maybe it's work baggage. Uh, you didn't get that promotion that you wanted or, or the project that you worked on for months was rejected. Or, or, or maybe your boss just doesn't like you. Uh, and all of those issues, and, and many more, with all of their emotions like bitterness or anger or resentment or despair or unforgiveness, all too often we carry those things around with us each and every day of our life. Uh, there's also, though, the baggage of a judgmental spirit. 
You know, unfortunately, uh, the church as a whole and many people inside the church are, are too quick to judge others who are outside uh, the church. And, and one of the reasons uh, why people who are so far from God don't even want to come into the church is because they're afraid that that's what they're going to experience because they've experienced it maybe in, in other places, that they're going to be walking into a, a judgmental place. You know, we've got to take the, the plank out of our own eye uh, because it's only then that we can help someone get the splinter out of their eye. Uh, I heard someone say recently uh, that you could take a man and a woman and put them, who are going through marital problems, put them in separate rooms and, and give them a pad, a piece of paper, a pencil. Uh, you put them in these separate rooms, you ask them to list all the negative things uh, about their spouse and you only give them 10 minutes to do that. Some would say, wait, it's going to take me a lot longer than 10 minutes, and it's going to take me a lot longer than this, much more than this little piece of paper. <laughs> and, and, and you could come back, though, after 10 minutes, and you know what you'd find? They're still writing. They're still working. Wait, wait, I, I got something else I got to put down. And, and all those things that they list may be justified. Uh, they may be true. But if you were to take those same two people put them back in separate rooms again, give them, that, give them a, another piece of paper, another pad of paper, uh, give them a pencil, and give them that same 10 minutes, but this time you tell them to list all the things that are wrong with them. They might be able to list one thing, or if they're lucky, maybe two, but then they wouldn't be able to think of much else. And even what they did write down they would probably write it in such a nuanced way to make it seem like what I did isn't so bad. The problem with us is that all too often we're focused on the splinter in somebody else's eye when we can't even see the beam that's in our own eye. And that creates conflict. In the early church, there was a real-life situation where a member of the church was, was living in a terrible, horrible sin, and the church rightly took disciplinary action and, and passed judgment on that sin, and they did so not for the purpose of punishing that church member who had gotten away from God, but primarily they did it to, uh, for, to, for the purpose of bringing that person to the place of repentance, to the place of restoration. When you come to this passage in Matthew chapter 18 here, uh, this is an issue in Matthew chapter 18 that can weigh churches and does weigh many churches down uh, and, and can cause pastors more grief and more heartache and more headache than any of the other things you could ever imagine. It, it's unresolved conflict. You know, two words in our vocabulary uh, carry very negative connotations. One is conflict and one is confrontation, and most of us don't like either one of those. And, and so, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I don't like confrontation? You know, there's some very good reasons why those two words have those negative connotations. Those two words led a, a world war that cost the, the lives of, of over 50 million people. Uh, we're, we're going to learn today, though, that God can use conflict and confrontation as an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ and to bear the witness uh, to the gospel and to teach others how to work through our differences, how to work through uh, confrontation. You know, one of the most loving, positive things you could ever do for somebody else is to help them see when they're on the wrong path. 
to help them to see when they're doing things that are hurtful and showing them how they can change. I mean, just think, in, in one instance, we do that with our children, don't we? We don't just let our children run wild and do whatever they want to. And yeah, honey, go out and play in the street. Just dodge the cars while you're out there. We don't do that. We don't let our kids run out. We, we talk to our kids. We discipline our kids. We confront our kids because of the danger that they're putting themselves in. And it's no different and more important, actually, as we're going to see for us to do that within the body of Christ. And so if you live long enough, you're going to learn that conflict is a part of life. We don't like it, but it's there. Confrontation is sometimes necessary. And we're going to see what kind of confrontation here in just a moment. Because when it, comes, uh, when it becomes negative is when the conflict is unresolved and the confrontation that needed to take place never takes place. So, so let me ask you a question. Is there anybody that you know today that if they were to die today that you would have regrets over the fact that there was some unresolved conflict between you and that person. Is there anyone who, 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 out there who, who maybe has committed such an outrageous offense against you that, that you think about it, you, you get upset when you're thinking about it, you live every day with what they did to you, you don't, you don't sleep well, you're thinking about what they did, and you wake up thinking about what they did to you, and, and maybe you even pray for them, but you don't pray for them in a good way. Uh, you know, maybe you're praying, God, why don't you rain down some punishment on them for what they did uh, to me? Kind of like the disciples uh, that we talked about before here recently uh, when the Samaritan village uh, rejected Jesus. And they said this in Luke 9 and verse 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You know, sometimes that's the way we want to react when someone has hurt us, when someone has sinned even against us. Uh, Lord, why don't you just bring fire down on them? Why don't you judge them? Understand this, though. There are no problems that are too big to solve, just people too little to solve them. And if we would just follow these simple instructions that we're going to see here from Jesus that it would help us in, in those marital issues that we have to help us to, to, to defrost that cold marriage. Uh, it, it would help us to resurrect dead friendships, to restore broken relationships quicker than you could ever imagine. So uh, think about that. Has someone uh, maybe offended you? Maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe someone has sinned against you. And we're not just talking about here uh, your preferences. We're talking about have they legitimately hurt you, uh, not just physically, but maybe emotionally uh, or mentally also. How do you deal with it? Well, here's the first thing Jesus tells us in this first verse. You have to first personally admit there's an issue. If you don't ever admit there's an issue then all of that stays below the surface in your life. It's boiling, it's seething, it's always there. It's eating away at you like a cancer, but nobody else ever knows about it. And it just continues to destroy you. You know, Jesus outlined specifically here a situation that we all either have been or will be involved in at some time or another in your life. Uh, notice here a brother, maybe not a literal brother, but he's referring to someone who's a fellow believer, someone in the family of faith. And notice what he says here. He says, if your brother sins 
against you. So notice what has happened here. This person sins against you, and you're dealing uh, with, with a situation where maybe you're the innocent party. You've not done anything wrong to anyone, but somebody has done something wrong to you. What do you do? Well, the assumption here in, in this verse is, is that this offense rises to the level where confrontation is necessary. When somebody offends you, then you can categorize that offense in one of two ways. It's either an offense or something you can just overlook. It's, it's not a really a big deal. It's not something that it's just your preferences about maybe something. It's one, but then there's also another group. There are things that you cannot overlook. You know, in many situations, the best way to resolve conflict is, is simply to overlook the offense if it's a minor thing. You know, we do that with our kids. You know, you don't, you don't whip a kid if, if they, you know, just did something light. You, you, you make sure that the discipline uh, meets the, the, punish, the punishment meets uh, the infraction of what they did. And so uh, we see here that truthfully, if you look at it, in your own marriage, if you took seriously every little offense your spouse caused you, you'd be in a constant war 24-7. If you took everything she said or everything he said, you would be at, a, at war with one another. You know, one of the ways you're going to have to learn to deal with offenses is to be big enough to overlook the ones that really uh, need, don't need to be bothered with. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, some things are just not worth fighting over. Some things are just not even worth talking about. Sometimes the best thing and the biggest thing to do is just to move on and forget it. But you have to be careful there because sometimes overlooking an offense is not just the wrong thing to do, it's the harmful thing to do. So that's where you've got to, uh, as we're going to talk about here in just a moment, you've got to assess the situation to see, is this an offense that, that rises to the level that it needs to be confronted, or is this something that could be overlooked? You know, there are some offenses that can't be overlooked, and they shouldn't be overlooked. In fact, uh, the person needs to be confronted, not only because they've hurt you, but because you also know that they'll continue in that behavior and they'll hurt others. So, so Jesus is dealing with a situation here where an offense is so great that it needs to be dealt with, but it has to be dealt with properly. So let me tell you, in the average situation, what people do when they are hurt by someone. First of all, one of the things we do is we just refuse to deal with it. Uh, whether it's out of a distaste for confrontation or, or a lack of courage uh, or even worse, the person's relationship, we just don't value it that much and we refuse to deal with it. Uh, even though you don't deal with the problem, know this, the problem deals with you and the problem still stays with you. And the more you let it go, the more it festers and the more it festers, the more bitter uh, you get. And then eventually we go and we talk to someone else about it. You know, when somebody really hurts you, it's impossible many times for you not to tell somebody else about it. And that's when we take something that's maybe sometimes minor that could be a molehill. You know, you've heard that saying before, uh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. 
Uh, that's when we, we, we could have, what could have been a molehill turns into a mountain. When you go to a person uh, about a problem that's not part of the problem and a person who won't be a part of the solution of the problem, uh, then you make that person a part of the problem. The first thing we've got to do, though, is to admit there's a problem. Quit pretending that you're not upset. Uh, quit pretending that you're not bitter. Uh, quit pretending that you're, you're not carrying this grudge and admit somebody has hurt you and it needs to be dealt with. Here's the second thing we see that we mentioned just a moment ago. Properly assess the situation. Because as we said, there are some things that rise to this level that need to be addressed and there's other things that are just our, our minor preferences and things. You know, like... Uh, you get up in the morning and your wife's fussing at you because you left your, your underclothes laying on the floor. That's not something to get up and have a big fight about. That's something that's minor. I'm not saying that's happened in our house. So. <laughs> I heard somebody say sure. <laughs> but you've got to properly assess the situation. Notice the second part of verse 15 here. It says, if your brother sins against you, go. Notice it also says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus uses that word here to tell us why confrontation not only at times is necessary, but it's the most loving thing to do and the most godly thing to do. And it's that word that we see there used twice in this verse, brother. He's not talking here about a stranger. He's not talking about someone who's just an acquaintance, uh, that person who, who cut you off in the, going down the road and, and now you're mad at them and so you want to go confront them about it. They're not talking about road rage and those kind of things. He's talking here uh, about someone who's a part of the family, someone who's a part maybe of your family or a part uh, of the family of faith. And if there's anything anyone should be able to, anyone who should be able to work out uh, conflicts, if there's anyone who should be able to resolve their differences and be able to overcome hurt and heartache and reconcile relationships, it ought to be the people in God's family. Now, you have to go back to what Jesus said immediately before these instructions to put it in its proper context here and understand what is it here that's at stake. Before Jesus talked about a family, he talked about a flock. Before he talked about siblings, he talked about sheep. And so go back to verse 12, if you will, and let's read verse 12. Verse 12, he says... What do you think? And I can tell you, we got all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of opinions about what we think. But Jesus begins by asking his disciples a very simple question. What do you think? Then he gives the example here as we continue to read in verse 12. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray. So he gives us example here of a man who has a hundred sheep, one of them's gone astray, one of them has been lost, one's no longer a part of the flock, and he leaves this 99 up on the mountain and he goes in search of that one. He doesn't know where they are, where it is, he just knows that it's missing. On the surface, that seems kind of strange that you would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. And yet, we're the same way. You ever noticed when you lose something 
that you're something you're more concerned with uh, what you lost than than you are with what you still have. I mean, think about this. You ever lost your keys? I have to raise my hand. Uh, what do you do when you've lost your keys? You forget about everything else until you find those keys. You don't shrug your shoulders and say, well, at least I still have my car. Because <laughs> it doesn't do you any good if you don't have those keys. Uh, you don't say, well, at least I still have a nice house. Uh, you know, no matter no what matters more to you than anything else are those car keys. Think about this. If you have three children and you take them into Walmart and, and all of a sudden you look around and one of them's missing, you don't just keep on shopping, do you? You don't say, well, at least I got two more. <laughs> I mean, you, you get somebody on the loudspeaker, you get every employee, you're, you're asking other customers in that store to look for that child. Notice verse 13 and verse 14. It says, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that the one of these little ones should perish. The reason why that there's so much joy when you find that lost sheep or that lost child isn't because that sheep or that child is more valuable or more loved than the ones who aren't lost. That child that you lost in the store isn't more valuable than the other two who are still at your side. But it's because that child needed to be rescued. That child needed to be found. And so when somebody has sinned against you or when someone has done something wrong or hurt you or, or maybe it's a situation where it's not so much against you but it's against someone else or it's against the church or it's against uh, their own family, then you need to see those people who've wandered off the path of faith and wandered away from a relationship and ask yourself how much more important should that brother or that sister in Christ be to me than a sheep should be to a shepherd? Confrontation isn't an unloving thing to do, but in many cases it's the most loving thing that you can do. Just remember, though, that confrontation, you always got to keep this in perspective, confrontation is for the purpose of rescue, not retribution. You aren't trying to revenge a wrong you're not trying to make them pay for what they did to you. You're trying to restore a relationship. Notice verse 15 again. We see our third point that we privately need to approach the person or the persons involved. Notice verse 15 again. So he moves from that context that we've seen there about the illustration of the, the man who's lost his sheep. And he says, if your brothers sin against you, the first thing he says is go. Go. That's step one. If somebody does you wrong, if somebody sins against you, or somebody really devastates you uh, by their actions, you don't just think about it. You don't just pray about it. You don't talk about it. You go to that person privately, and you tell them about it. And the sooner you do that, the better. Because that way you've not allowed it to fester and to boil in your heart and your life where you might say something or do something that you would regret later because you're acting out of, out of anger and wanting to seek retribution rather than restoration. 
And so you go to that person privately and you tell them about it. Here's where the problem of unresolved conflict starts. Here's where, why, why the problem continues and here's where the problem festers. We make excuses so often for not going. We think, well, they won't even listen to me or it just won't do any good. I've talked to him before about this and, and it doesn't do any good. Uh, they'll just do it again. Or, or we think, I'll just make them angrier. All of those things may be true, but the Bible says you still have to go. That way you, the ball's in your court, you're the one who's been offended, you have to go to that individual or those individuals. And so that's the first step is to go. The next step, though, is crucial. Notice verse 15 again there. It says, tell him his fault between you and him alone between you and him alone. So, so here's a great principle that so often is even violated in our churches, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships that causes so many of our problems. The principle is this, whenever conflict occurs, keep the circle of people involved uh, to those who are involved. Uh, as small as possible for as long as possible. Now, obviously, there are some things uh, that, that have to be told to others. If, if there's an abuser who's abusing you physically or sexually or in any other way, that has to be reported. Uh, someone may potentially hurt others. That has to be reported or even harm themselves. That has to be reported. And there are other things that we could go on listing. But, but even then, the major reason for this isn't for condemnation, but for restoration. When you just want to get revenge, when, when you just want a pound of flesh, uh, when you just want to make things worse, what do you do? You go and talk to somebody else about that person. Oh, let me tell you what they did to me. Let me tell you how they treated me. You know, and, and, and you let other people know how bad this person, what they've done to you and, and the sin they've committed against you and how horrible they are. And, and what you really want to do is to put the other person down while you put yourself up. Look how bad she, she was to me or what she did to me. When you go privately to that person, then it's obvious that you're not trying to win some argument, but you're trying to win that brother or sister in Christ. You're not doing it for condemnation. You're doing it for restoration. Then Jesus continues there in verse 15, and he says, if he listens to you or she listens to you, you've gained your brother or sister. You don't go hoping they're not going to listen. You go believing they're going to listen. And if they do, the Bible says you've gained your brother. That word gain there is a financial term that refers to making money or winning a prize. But when you choose to handle a, a conflict with someone the right way, and you privately and personally go to that person who's offended you to try to work things out, it's always a win-win situation. It's not a win-lose situation. Uh, you're not going to win an argument, and that's not what you're going for to do anyway. You're going to win a brother or sister in Christ. And if they listen, then it's a win-win for both of you. If they don't, then it's still a win because you did what you were responsible to do. You can never control what somebody else uh, would do. And so if you don't go to your brother or your sister or you go to someone else who's not a part of the problem, then it does become a lose-lose situation. You, loo you lose, the brother or sister loses, and anybody who else that you've told about the problem loses also. 
And so what we see is we go back to that illustration that Jesus gave us uh, of the shepherd. Just like the shepherd rejoices over that one lost sheep that's found, it is hard to top the joy of restoring a relationship, of salvaging a friendship, of gaining a brother or sister in Christ, and of saving people who are self-destructing. But the question we always come back with is, well, what if they don't listen? What if nothing changes? What if they don't listen? Well, let's read on to verse 16, down through verse 20. Here's the fourth thing. Persistently apply the effort to reconcile. So no matter what, even if they won't listen, the goal long term still is to see them reconcile. But there's some things that you ought to do, as verse 16 goes on to tell us about. Jesus doesn't leave us to wander. He says, but if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You know, so often when we quote those, two last, those last two verses, we don't even think about the context that those verses are given in, in, in the context of conflict resolution. So let's go back and just suppose the person doesn't listen. Uh, they refuse to make things right. They refuse to admit their wrongdoing. Step 2, verse 16. Now go back, he says there, you, you take two others, one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So go back to that, that, that illustration I gave you a while ago of, of Walmart and losing that child. If at first you look for that child, you personally looked for them, that's what you're first going to do, and you couldn't find that child, what do you do? You get others to help you. Why would you do that? Because you're not going to give up until you find that child. And just like God doesn't give up on us, we shouldn't give up on others. In this case, he says, you ought to take along another person or two other people or even three other people. What's the purpose of doing that? It's not so that you can gang up on the person. You know, that's not what you're going for anyway. Uh, there's two reasons. First, when you take others along with you, you're showing that person that this is more than just a personal preference, a personal vendetta that I've got against you. These others I've told the issue to, and they agree, and they're coming to, to be a witness here. And so, so showing this person by doing that, you're showing them just how serious you are about restoring the relationship. The other reason is, is that if the person still refuses to listen, then the other people can confirm that. Not only that this person is unrepentant, but also that you've handled yourself the way you should. And you've done everything you can to reconcile the situation. I want to tell you, that is so vitally important in marriage relationships. I've counseled with many uh, who've, who've been facing that issue of divorce and some who just refused to go any further uh, than the first step. And in fact, they didn't even want to do the first step to confront. They went to other people and talked about the person. 
So, so keep this in mind. What if that doesn't work? Well, Jesus went on in verse 17 to verse 20 there, and he speaks here, and he says, well, then you want to bring it before a larger group. So keep in mind, when Jesus spoke about the church here, there wasn't an established church yet. The church hadn't even been formed yet. So what he meant was is that you're to take this to a group of people that are trusted authorities that maybe also have a relationship with this person and let them, along with the two or three witnesses that went with you before, uh, that, that come that, and be able to testify that everything possible has been done to bring reconciliation, and yet the guilty party has refused. And at that point, if the person still refuses... The Bible says we're to treat them as an outsider. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you refuse to speak to them at all. It doesn't mean that you're to be ugly towards them. It doesn't mean you're to have a mean spirit towards them. What it does mean is you are to refuse to have fellowship or, uh, or social contact with that person until that person makes things right. Here's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Uh, and, and even treat him as, a, as someone who's lost. How do you treat a lost person? You continue to pray for that person. You continue to love that person. Uh, but you let it be made known, and, and so should all the circles of influence that they have in the church, that there's no fellowship and no place of leadership for that person until they're willing to make things right. But let's turn this around. Suppose you're here today, and you're sitting there and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and has convicted you, and you know you're not the offended brother, but you're the offending brother or sister. You're the one who's caused the breach in the relationship. And yet, out of pride and stubbornness, you refuse to make things right, but you're willing to. Then don't wait. Don't wait for the offended person to come to you. You see, that's the whole point of what we're seeing in all this. The one who's been offended, you don't wait. The one who has offended, you don't wait. Address everybody involved that's, that's been hurt or been offended. You, you know, avoid these words, if. Well, if he does this or if she does that, then I'll do. Avoid words like, like but, but, but you don't understand what they did to me. Admit specifically that wrong that has been done. Accept the consequences of your actions. Alter your behavior. Ask for forgiveness. We ought to treat people the way God treats us. Think about it. When we sin against God, He doesn't go to your wife or to your husband or to your neighbor to tell them about it. He tells you about it. He speaks to you in your heart. Now, you might not listen to that, you might refuse to, to, to listen to what he's speaking to you when you hear God's word that says this is sin and you continue in the sin, there's going to be judgment. He doesn't go to somebody else. He goes to you first. He tells us about it. When a sinful thought enters into your mind or, or a sinful attitude enters into your heart, God doesn't tell everybody else. He tells us. He convicts us. He confronts us. He restores us. What God does for us, we ought to do for others. Here's the point. If you have been carrying around an offense from another person, you've been carrying that around in your heart, then it's time for you to let that offense go. 
it's time for you to simply overlook that offense if it's something that wasn't big, if, it, if it's an offense that really could be overlooked and should be overlooked. But if it's not, you know, sometimes we find out that, that even after someone who is in our lives has passed away, they offended us, they hurt us, maybe they abused us, and they're gone. How do you make that right? You can't talk to them. You can't go to them. But I'd encourage you to do this. Write down that offense. Maybe it's somebody who's moved uh, hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles around the world or uh, across the country. Write down that offense. Maybe even the first name of that person that's offended. You write it down. You get it all out. You, you, you pray to the Lord about it, and then you ball that piece of paper up, and you set it on fire, and you let it go. For those offenses that can't be overlooked, that have to be confronted, where you still can confront that thing, I'm asking you today, if you're the offended person, go to the person that's offended you. Even if you want to take somebody else with you, if you want to ask permission before you come, whatever you need to do, take that first step. If you're the one who's the offender, let me just say to you, it's time. It's time for you to make things right with those that you've hurt. If you're the offended person, step up and restore that relationship and know that if the brother or sister doesn't listen to you uh, or does listen to you and if the relationships are restored, know this, that the greatest rejoicing of all will take place in heaven with a father who wants his children to be right with each other. God loves you and he wants you to show that same kind of love to others. So think about this. Have you offended God? Every one of us have. In many ways, at many times. And God has come to you even this morning to say, you've sinned. You've sinned against me. You've hurt me in that sin. And he's wanting you this morning to come by faith in repentance. To say, here I am, God, for you to take that first step and to go to go to him who you've offended and to make things right. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Call out to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're already saved, but you've offended God because of the sin in your own heart and in your own life, and you still need to come to him in repentance to say, God, I've messed up. Maybe it's because you've been an offender. Maybe it's because you've been the offended. Whatever God needs to do in your heart and your life, you either go to the person who's offended or you go to the person you've offended. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we have learned some things about conflict. Lord, none of us like it. But Lord, you have given us specific instructions on how to approach it. Father, we know sometimes, whether it's a a personal thing or whether it's a thing within the church that many times we've handled it the wrong way because in going to the other person about the situation we went to win an argument or we went to make the person pay we wanted them to hurt because we hurt and so father I pray that you would help us to see that that is not what you've told us to do biblically here. 
you've told us, Lord, that as a brother or sister in Christ, we're to care about those individuals. Even that individual who's hurt me, that person who said some horrible things about me, that person who wrote me that horrible letter, or that person who abused me. Father, I pray this morning that we would come to the place of seeking restoration and repentance. Whether that's seeking the restoration of a brother and sister in Christ or it's seeking to make ourselves restored. Lord, in either place, we both come to the same place, that of repentance. So Lord, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge God that we have sinned against you. And the problem for us is, Lord, there are some who are here this morning who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and they need to do that this morning. They need to acknowledge and to admit their problem with you. So Father, I pray they would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus lived that perfect sinless life, died on the cross in the place of my sinful debt, was buried in that tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and my life. Save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, I pray that that person will come and publicly profess that faith in Christ. But Lord, we know there are others who are here who may be believers that they either have to recognize they have offended someone or they've offended you because of sin in their life. And Lord, I pray that we would take these steps and that we would go. We would go to the one we've offended, whether that's to you, and to just cry out to you, God, I am sorry I have sinned against you. And I come admitting my sin and asking and seeking your forgiveness and your cleansing. Lord, you have told us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. You'd hold on to it no longer. You cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Father, I pray this morning that's what you would do as we come confessing our sin. Lord, I pray that if we've offended someone or we've been offended, May we take these steps that we've seen this morning so that we can seek restoration and we can bring glory and honor to your name and we can rejoice when that lost sheep has been found, when that person who has strayed away comes back to you. And Lord, even if they don't, let us not let that keep us from going, but Lord, let us realize we have a responsibility to go we have a responsibility to follow these steps of seeking restoration and resolving the conflict. And Lord, the rest is on them. We've done all we needed to do. Lord, I pray that if there are marriages that are here this morning, Lord, that are struggling and, and suffering, Father, I pray that you would help those individuals to, to take whatever steps it needs to be taken to restore that marriage relationship. Lord, that you would use this passage and this message in their lives to bring them back to where they need to be. Lord, may you be glorified. May you be honored in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 312, softly and tenderly, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Will you come as we stand?
seated for just a moment brother Bobby if you'll come and share announcements you know I think we all can agree that this is a day that the Lord has made we're to rejoice and be glad if you're happy to be here today say amen, amen. okay there's some announcements I do want to make. First of all, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you. Uh, and we also have guests, uh, guest bags that's here on each side in the back and in the corner. And so uh, if you're a guest, if you'll pick up one of these. You know, here lately, it seems like that we've had a lot of people to come our way, and that's a good thing. If you're a new member, and doesn't have a director and would like one, there's one out here on the table. Or if you uh, are not a new member, but don't have one and like one, there's one out here on the table. So where's it at? Out here on the table, okay? Uh, but something else that I want to let you know is that there is a sign-up sheet for uh, CPR classes it's on the bulletin board, so if you're working with children, Awanas, or senior adults, this may be a good class for you to participate in. The church will cover the cost, and so uh, the sign-up sheet's on the board, you know. Um, you know, I got this as a message from my little buddy Levi. Of course, I've watched him, and I'm real proud of him. Watched his mama when she was about that size. And 
I was talking to his mother up there a minute ago. I helped with baptisms, and, and she said, hey, he's a little nervous. And I said, Amanda, I am too. And I get nervous every time we've had one, but I get so excited. And a word of praise, and then I'll move on with the announcements, is for the last three, if maybe not four weeks, we've had a baptism at the start of each service. So amen for that. And y'all keep coming. I'll get nervous, but we'll get excited also, okay? So <clears throat> as far as the announcements, there will not be any evening worship because of Labor Day. Also, our church office will be closed tomorrow. But if you need anything, of course, Brother Jim will have his phone. Uh, you know, uh, different ones got phones, so give us a call. The Awana kickoff is this Wednesday from 5 to 7.15. There's a deacon's meeting that will be on September the 11th. Uh, okay, but while I'm on that, we will have a deacon's meeting for just a minute at the end of the service, and also the personnel, if I'm right, bud, okay, uh, Jordan's up there giving me the high sign, so, uh, okay, but the personnel will be meeting in the conference room after service for just a minute, you know. Uh, let me make sure that I hadn't forgot something. There's some other announcements, but you can probably read the bulletin a lot better than I can. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we're proud of Levi and others who asked Jesus to come into their, our lives, their lives. And we need as a church to get behind them, support them, and not lift them. But you know, we extend an invitation for each and every one of you to uh, become a part of our church but most of all to have an experience with Jesus because as the message was today it should apply to each and every one of us because we've all have been victims of uh, people that we have conflict with we've been the accuser and we've been the person that's been victimized but you know through Christ he teaches us to uh, to forgive and think of the way that he has forgiven us. And so as we close in prayer, let me say that we're proud that you're here. We hope that you have a safe and happy uh, Labor Day. Please come back again. And with that, if there's no other announcements, well, there's two prayer concerns I about forgot. One is Kay Fox will be having knee surgery on the 13th. So Kay, we're in prayer for you. And Brian's friend, Kim, is going through radiation therapy. So with that, if there are any other prayer, yes, ma'am, Miss Judy.
Okay, thank you. All right, if you don't know what she's talking about, we've opened our church, the ministry center, because of on Fridays they offer free food down at the uh, West Side Church of the Nazarene. And we've opened our church, uh, the uh, ministry center, so people can come in and use the restroom or something. And we need some volunteers to sign up to help with that. So if you'll make that a prayer concern, it's from 9.30 to 11.30. And so uh, uh, with that, if there's no other announcements, then thank you for sharing that. Okay, there's a list for prime timers. So, okay, with that, let's close in prayer. Father, again, we want to thank you for being able to come into thy house. Father, we ask your guidance upon our lives. We ask that you forgive us when we fail you. Father, most of all, we thank you for these decisions that have been made. And, Father, we just ask that you forgive us when we fail you. And, Father, as we go home and come back again, we ask that you protect us. And, Father, we want to honor you and praise you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.